Support for this podcast comes from Wreckfest. Wreckfest 2017 takes place on July the 6th and is the definitive destination of the summer for in-house recruiters to be celebrated and educated. This year, Wreckfest is taking over industrial foodie haunt Hawker House in London for a forward-thinking exploration of an industry awakened. Over the three stages, 30 speakers will be sharing their vision of the future of recruiting, case studies and insight with over 600 in-house recruiters. So, if you want to join the Wreckfest revolution, you can find all the details and book your place at www.thisisreckfest.co.uk. That's www.thisisreckfest.co.uk. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 89 of the Recruiting Future podcast. This week, a first for the show, with not one guest, but two I recently headed down to PepsiCo's UK offices in Reading to have a conversation with Kevin Huff, their Head of Talent Acquisition for the UK and Ireland, and Dan Fitzpatrick, Talent Acquisition Lead for PepsiCo Global Concentrate Solutions. We covered a lot of ground in our discussions about the evolution of talent acquisition, and it was great to hear Kevin and Dan talk about some of the everyday realities of in-house recruitment within a large corporate. Enjoy the interview. Hi guys, and welcome to the podcast. Hello. So, could we start, could you just introduce yourself? So tell us who you are, where we are, um, and what you do. Okay, so uh, my name's Dan Fitzpatrick. Um, I'm the talent acquisition lead for the Concentrate business within PepsiCo. Um, So you're here with us today at the PepsiCo head office in Green Park in Reading. A little bit about me, so my background is all recruitment, so um, back in 2006, which seems like a very long time ago, when I had hair and was a lot slimmer, um, I started out life in RPO, um, and then had a number of stints across a number of different organisations, so I worked for Booper, Virgin Media, Talk Talk, Tesco, and then um, joined PepsiCo in 2006, and I worked across pretty much all of the core functions, so across commercial, R&D, supply chain, uh, and then most recently in the, in the concentrate business. Hi, I'm Kevin Huff. Um, I'm the Head of Talent Acquisition for UK and Ireland here at PepsiCo, um, so work very closely with Dan. Uh, most people may remember that I worked for LV, the insurer, um, not Louis Vuitton as people like to, like to say. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so my background previous to that, uh, project management, information management, I guess my passions are around employer branding, as you well know, Matt, but also team transformation um, and, and getting the proposition working really well. Well, cool, and thanks, guys, for inviting me, um, inviting me down to Reading, and also thank you for this uh, this big box of uh, PepsiCo brands, including Doritos that you've uh, that you've uh, bribed me with. To well, we, we, <laughs> we couldn't have you visit without showing you some of the products. Absolutely, so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> we so, won't munch our way through those, though. Uh, it gives me gives me something to eat on the on the on the train home, which is great. So, I think one of the things it would be good to find out a bit more about. Um, are the sort of recruitment challenges that you guys that you guys face? I mean, who who do you recruit? Where um, you know where where is that particularly particularly difficult? What what kind of people do you look for for a for a company like this? 
I, th- I think for me, I think this, the surprise for an organisation such as PepsiCo is that is the breadth of roles that we recruit. So we could be recruiting anything from someone who tests our crisps and is in the sensory team to, to find out are we developing new flavours, are the standards right, through to sports scientists, through to your typical sales marketers that drive the, the sort of the growth side of the business. So there's an extreme amount of, of breadth, I would say, and I'd be interested to, to see Dan's point of view also, but I guess... There's also very, you know, quite a few very niche roles. So within our supply chain research and development businesses, there are some real difficult roles to hire that we that we need to focus on. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly have a whole range of disciplines. As as Kevin said, you know, whether we're recruiting for R and D specialists or supply chain specialists, finance specialists, HR specialists, you know, they're they're challenging in some locations less so than than others. The reality is, you know, we. My particular role is a global role, so I would have you know folks in in Ireland. It's a relatively good market to recruit into. Having said that, we would recruit folks in Singapore, which is not an easy market to recruit some folks into. Um, so there's a whole host of skills that we look for, you know, globally. Lots of that you can link to kind of the STEM conversation, um, and it's a very difficult subject to talk about. You know, how how do you fix for the you know the STEM challenge? Um, you need a level of foresight into what the future actually holds. Not many businesses can genuinely tell you what what they've got on the horizon in the next five to 10 years. So it's very hard then to build a STEM roadmap to, for us as a TA function to deliver into that. Um, so it's a conversation we're having. We obviously have STEM councils. We, we have those conversations, but it's it's very difficult to get clear line of sight on some of those those challenges. So first up, it would be great to get your perspectives on the challenges that talent acquisition is facing um, and how it's really sort of changing as a discipline to, to answer some of those challenges. Yeah, okay, cool. So I think, I think from, from my perspective, the, the challenge we, we will always face is finding the right talent in a really timely fashion. In fact, sometimes getting the right talent before the business even knows it is where we want to be. Um, the reality is there are a number of themes around that in terms of how we do that. So we operate in a candidate-driven environment. Candidates, um, they do want to be wooed. They do want to be seen as VIPs. Um, we need to be mindful of that all of the time. So what we do can be very transactional. Um, and that's the nature of recruitment. Sometimes in a vol- volume environment, you can just get stuck in that rut of just driving through and churning through candidates. We need to then step back and be really mindful that these these candidates are super important. Um, so we need to take time to you know educate them on the business, make sure they do have that VIP experience as they come through the process, e- even if they're not successful. They still need to walk away feeling really positive about their experience. Ultimately, we are a consumer brand at the end of the day. We still want people to go and, and buy our products and recognize you know where we sit in the market, etc. So that's really important. Um, Linked to that is relationships. We need to be able to clearly articulate who we are, both through you know personal conversations, you know, be very high touch with our candidates, but also through what we do in terms of attraction, whether that be you know as simple as a, a job advert, all the stuff we'll do in the social space, which Kevin can talk m- much more about. Um, so there is a number of elements there, um, and it's a two-way street as well. I think it's one of the other things to mention. It's not just about us. You know, candidates come with lots of questions and lots of challenges. And we need to be able to really sell ourselves as a, as a business. You know, we're not the only employer out there. Candidates will always have choice, and we need to make sure that we differentiate ourselves and stand out from from others in the market. Yeah, and I'd absolutely echo that. I think Dan's spot on. I think 
from my perspective, if we look at you know where talent acquisition teams are needing to go, where businesses need to be, in fact, the challenge for us here at PepsiCo is about being a really forward-thinking, proactive talent acquisition function. So it's moving away from that, the terminology that I like to use, is moving away from that post and pray approach to that proactive pipelining. And again, that becomes more effective when you introduce all of the things that Dan talked about in terms of engaging with the candidates, using social. We know people want to check out what it's like to work at an employer. How can you deliver that reality? And how can the team really understand its market and partner with the business to understand what they need? And to Dan's point, really understand the people they don't know they need. So would you say then that recruiting is becoming more like marketing? I mean, it's a it, it's kind of a controversial statement and there's always lots of argument about, uh, you know, what does that what does that mean and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, br- broadly, do you, do you think that's the that's the case? I, I would say yes, probably in the, in the first instance. And I'd, I'd caveat to say not everyone is good at it and not everyone needs to be good at it to, to be successful. So I think people need to think about how can you attract the best talent well it's writing the best adverts it's connecting with the right people it's the whole employer brand the look the feel if it's not looking professional if it's not feeling professional that's going to turn people off so people rightly or wrongly will have expectations when they apply to us about the big brands do they get the expectation you know when they go through the recruitment process exactly the same with big brands like Amazon for example so for me, I think absolutely it is needing that marketing steer, but it's how teams can cleverly execute that without trying to have a team of marketeers because I'm very clear that you need some really great recruiters and recruiting talent to actually execute on that. Yeah. No, and I, and I, and I think you're right, Kevin. I think, I think the other key thing we should always remember is you, know, you can have all of the, you know, the whizzy campaigns and marketing and all of that, but ultimately it boils down to the fact that people are recruited by people. So it doesn't matter what we put out there, that first real engagement will be over the phone, might be through an email through our ATS. At some stage, we have to engage on a level with that person. You know, Just having the right advert and the right campaigns out there won't get people through the door. They need to buy into us as, as people. And I think that's really interesting because you know you're, you're talking about having to have a sort of a number of a number of skills here. So uh, you know, marketing savvy, relationship building, you know, good old fashioned kind of recruiting skills. What? How? How do you think the sort of skill set of in-house recruitment has, has changed? What What are the most vital skills for an in-house recruiter to have in the current environment? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question, Matt. There's a whole host. Is the honest answer. So we'll find ourselves wearing a number of different hats throughout the course of the day. So you know you'll you'll have your stakeholder management skills, you'll have your business partnering skills, all of that underpinned by being able to build relationships. So the same as we would with candidates, we need to build relationships with our internal stakeholders. Um, we need to be able to project manage. So it's not just about putting bums on seats. At the end of the day, there's a whole lot of other stuff we do in terms of added value, projects, initiatives. So you know technology plays a part, employee referrals, all those kind of initiatives we, we have to project manage. Um, you have to be commercially savvy. So you have to know when the time is right actually to maybe engage with a third party, spend some cash, and and I know all in-house teams are focused on not spending cash, but actually there's a time and a place for it, and you've got to make the decision. Um, You've got to be resilient. So so sitting in-house, for me, it's about being exposed, which can be scary, but can be exciting at the same time, because you always have to have a solution. You can't run away. You can't not answer your phone, because someone will stand at your desk. 
So you've got to be super resilient, resourceful, and, and actually not afraid to face into a problem and not always have the answer. So for me, it's about having the relationship with the stakeholders. It means you can go and be honest and authentic and, and say, I don't know the answer, but actually let's get the right people in the room. Let's have a conversation and let's try and find a solution to, to whatever the problem might be. Yeah, I'd, 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 again, I totally echo Dan's comments. I think the commercial savvy one is, is definitely one that I see time and time again. And I think partnership, you know, partnering with the business is definitely the approach and one that we, we echo here. And part of the work we're doing as a team is actually looking at, you know, expanding our roles to actually encompass some of these skills and behaviours because that's now become the requirement of, of the role. I think the commerciality piece that, that Dan touched on is a real key one and it's a it's a definite hot topic for in-house recruiters where I believe the world has switched from in-house don't touch an agency to actually you need to partner with core people that can help you deliver those niche roles and you should be almost schmoozing in some respects and that's a real flip and it's very tough to get that balance right but this comes back to delivering what the business needs and the roles the business needs so I'd say all of that stuff that Dan talks about but someone who can understand when those skills are appropriate and when they're not. You mentioned spending money and investing um, and obviously you know there's a whole host of technology providers out there who almost on a daily basis are releasing uh, you know platforms and, and uh, solutions um, that allegedly make your lives better and make your lives easier. Um, what role does technology play in this? Do you think it kind of overplays what it what it delivers, or is it a vital part of what you guys do? I'd, I'd say, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's definitely a vital part. If I think back to the applicant tracking system, there's no way that we could control the volumes of applications if we were doing it on an Excel spreadsheet, for example. But I think going back to the point that Dan made about people recruit people we're very keen to make sure that our candidate experience, line manager experience has got that human touch as well. So whilst we use things like video interviewing, we use online testing and tools such as that to help the process and help inform the hiring decision, it's definitely the enabler but not the solution. So we always look very carefully at a solution that comes to you know pop out the person at the end and that's who you need to hire because we believe there's that real strength in the people side too. Yeah, I think I mean, you mentioned, Kevin mentioned video interview in there. I think there's there's two elements to, to using tech for me. There's there's clearly there's a time element, so it makes us more efficient and we can respond more timely. Um, but obviously we've, we've talked about being fairly high touch as well. So candidate experience is, is key and front of mind always, but also the hiring manager experience as well. So if we think about video interviewing, for instance, that, that was a big leap for our organisation um, and it's been a big leap for a number of other organisations to, to take away the human touch but actually that's a great enabler because it offers candidates a whole you know, level more of flexibility in terms of when they can interview, um, you know, you're not duplicating process, you're not asking candidates the same questions so actually that acts as an extension of, your, of really putting your employer brand in front of a candidate before you've, in some cases, before you've even actually had that physical conversation. Um, so there's things like that which you know lots of businesses are starting to embrace, um, and it is it is efficient, but it also plays to the enhancing the candidate experience and enhancing the line manager or the hiring manager experience as well. So there's you know from a in-house perspective, we have the, the two customers, if you like, the the internal guys and and then the candidates that we're talking to as well. Okay, 
Um, final question. Now, uh, we're actually recording this the week that the snap British general election was called. And if that tells us anything, it tells us that predicting the future <laughs> is impossible, particularly predicting the future these days. But I'd like to kind of ask about this in the context of talent acquisition, talent acquisition anyway. Um, you know, where, where do you think you where do you think we're going? What 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 should we be looking at or looking out for over the next sort of 18 months to, to two years in this in this space? But I think from my perspective, I think tech will always play a, a role in this. There's a lot of work being going on with predictive analytics. Um, I saw some great work around virtual reality assessment centres, which we're you know, really, really interested by. So I think there's, there's definitely that that's going to bubble around in the background. I think for me, it's around the strategic workforce planning side of things, which is how do you predict skills that you don't know you need in the future? So how do you start planning for that? And then really starting to to balance that, you know, what you buy and what you borrow from a, a TA strategy perspective. Yeah, no, I think I think Kevin's right. I think the the strategic piece is is a, is a key unlock, but also the tactical piece. You know, so what what does the next twelve to eighteen months have on the horizon from a business perspective is, is really important for us. Um, I think some businesses or smaller businesses or new entrants to the market can do things quicker than bigger corporate organisations. Um, that's a challenge that big business will have in terms of how agile can we genuinely be? Can we offer careers at the pace that some people will want a career? You know, versus a small tech startup might might be able to get you to you know a great place in five or six years. Certainly, what happened in a, in a big organisation like ours is it's being able to have the right proposition for the right candidates at, at the right time, which is which is which is tricky. But it, it's working out. You know, what do, do we build, borrow, buy? What what is the how is that makeup? focused in our organisation and that again that links to STEM, that links to internal talent development, it links to having a, a real focus on what direction the business is going in. So there's a number of interdependencies within that. It's not as easy as we'd like it to be, I think is the answer. Guys, thank you very much for talking to me. My thanks to Kevin and Dan. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, on Stitcher, or download the show app on your smartphone. Just search for Recruiting Future in your app store. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.